Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. For this episode, the Business Creators Radio Show broadcasts to you from our high-tech sumptuous studio located on our glorious Las Vegas balcony. In the background, you may hear a slight breeze. You may hear a couple birds chirping. And let me ask you this. When you have those mastermind conversations that change your view and give you knowledge that you weren't even expecting to find and didn't even know to ask for, when you have those revelations that give you that slight edge and move you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and passion, where do you often find yourself? Is it a coffee shop, a cigar shop, a restaurant, the networking function after the seminar? Is it possible that you have this while you're at the supermarket, while you're driving, while you're at the park, while you're in an outdoor cafe? We go where you go in alignment with my dedication to the laptop lifestyle. Today, we are going to discover some tips on how to foster a healthy, intrinsic work culture based on emotional intelligence. So now in a sense, we're talking about brain stuff, which gets me really excited. And you're going to be excited about our guide for today. His name is Patrick Tui. Let me tell you about it. He's the Senior Vice President of Allied Solutions, LLC, and he's coached basketball at the high school and college levels. Continuing the work of his late brother, the Hall of Fame basketball coach, Kevin Tui, in case his name sounded familiar, Patrick mentors both coaches and players to tap into their hearts and passions, pursue the spirit of team sports, and become the best version of themselves. You can discover more at www.eliteperformance2, that's T-O-O, hyphen E, dot com. A little play on the name Tui. And speaking of which, Patrick Tui, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. I'm really excited about being on your show today, talking with you and your audience. It's uh, always an exciting time to be able to share. That's why we're here. Now, speaking of sharing, I read off your official bio like I do at the beginning of every of these episodes. And once again, we have an unbroken streak of me being so impressed by what I'm seeing that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here in your presence. And this is my show. So what I'd like to do here before we dive into some of the topics we're going to cover today, which I'm very excited about, is tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, it's actually really started at a very young age, and I was exposed to an environment that was, let's just say, difficult and uh, a, a tough environment to grow up in. And uh-huh. You know, it's it's interesting along the way, there were mentors that entered my life at very critical times that really, you know, you talk about emotional intelligence. It's just, you know, the way they tapped into caring about me, 
at a whole different level in respect to who I was as a person and, you know, who I was in respect to how I handle things emotionally and what, what, what I was capable of becoming was something that was very important to these people, even though they knew the background that I came from really wasn't ideal to have an opportunity to have any high degree of success. So it, 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 it really planted a seed and an imprint on me about how influential and, and from a mentoring perspective, impactful it can be if we're selfless enough to uh, engage in that and really have motives that not only develop the craft, but also as importantly, uh, foster the development and who people are in their heart and, and their soul and who they are intrinsically. And, and I'll never for, forget that. And so it always crossed my mind quite often along the journey of wanting to pay it forward. And yeah. so as I, began to gain success, as I began to be in leadership positions, as I began to have a platform that allowed me to have this beautiful gift of having an audience and people that were, you know, trusted me and, and were willing to open themselves up to me, that it really was a very rewarding opportunity. And, and my dream became a reality. And I'm extremely passionate and focused about helping every person the best I can to know that they're of significant value and that they are someone who has a beautiful gift to reach their fullest potential as, as long as they can be influenced and mentored in that way. It doesn't always work out to, to, to be and fall into something like that. But, you know, I always feel like you have to try, you have to, Every single person, Patrick, is worth an effort and to try to help them know that they are of full potential to accomplish whatever they set out their mind to accomplish. Yeah. There's a couple of follow-up questions I'm going to pull out of that, but the first of which is I just want to define our terms. You mentioned the phrase intrinsic work culture, and that's going to come up a few times in our conversation. So just so that our listeners fully understand why we're adding the the modifier intrinsic, if you could explain what that means. Yeah, so intrinsic is paying attention and developing things around compassion and kindness and empathy and empathetic listening and selflessness and um, having a deep care for someone at a heart level that you're paying attention to, you know, what they're experiencing not only in the work environment, but what they might be experiencing personally, that there's this emotional attention and an attachment to another person because you're, you're open to it, you're approachable to it, and it's all about the heart and the spirit of things. And that when someone knows that they're receiving that from an influential person and a, and, a, and a motivator and a leader then they open themselves up to a whole different level of joy while they're doing what they're doing. Okay. So it has to do with having a heart, basically, to put it one oversimplified phrase. Exactly. Well, there's three things that people desire and want most in their life. And, and these are all intrinsic and they want to feel below. They want to feel like they belong. They want to feel appreciated. 
and they want to feel loved. And if you can if you can build intrinsic values off of those three premises, you're going to have a powerful team. To me, when I hear those three things, it just to me you put that together, and it feels like you're giving the employee or the team member a sense that what they do really matters. That their efforts, their brilliance, and their passion brought to the workplace, brought to the team, brought to the clients, gives them a sense that they have not only a rooting interest, but a vested interest in the success of the organization they serve. Absolutely, Adam. Uh, I'll give you a real quick example, if I may. This we, is love, that... we love examples. You can give me two. You can give me three. <laughs> okay. So this was something I learned back in 1987. Um, I was a new hire at a very large company, and we had to four-week training session. And it happened to be on the same floor, the training session as the CEO's office. And I think at the time there were like maybe 10 or 12 of us in training. And every single morning, without exception, the CEO would bring a tray of coffee into that training room and he would sit with us And he would ask us, you know, first of all, what we thought of the company, what was going on in our lives, what were our challenges, how how are things going um, in respect to how other employees are treating them and treating us. And there was these very, you know, very personal type questions that came from a place of authenticity that I thought to myself, this gentleman doesn't need to give us the time of day. And yet here he is every day. And, and again, the authenticity, the, the concern and the, just the reflection in his voice, you knew it came from a place of real caring that all of a sudden I began to develop in my own internal uh, impressions around being an employee of this company of, of just wanting to do absolutely everything I possibly could to help them succeed because they cared for me at that level. That was quite an impression for a trainee and for a CEO to demonstrate that. I I can tell you that along my journey, I didn't run into another CEO who acted in that kind of manner, but I always remembered him. And I remembered how successful that corporation was. And I remembered how much the employees loved working there. And that there was very little turnover and it, it, you know, left this unbelievable impression upon me of if I get a chance to lead one day, that's what I want to look like. I have a story of my own. This also involved a CEO. This is a company I worked at many years ago and I had a few different jobs there. The first of which is I was on the administrative staff, uh, this company one year, one of the two years that I was in that role before I got diagonally promoted, they actually had a luncheon for everybody who was classified as administrative. And it was in the executive boardroom. Ooh, they brought in a catered lunch. Yes. And at some point, the CEO himself stopped by. Yay. So the CEO comes in and I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said a few words and it all sounded really good. And it's like, whoa, cool. This guy's normally in his corner office, but he came to hang out with us 
And he threw us a little luncheon right here in the executive boardroom. This is neat. And then he goes on to ramble and say, and, you know, I know you guys see us and senior management, and sometimes you'll say hi to us in the hallway and we'll actually look away. Don't understand it just means we're really busy and uh, we can't uh, have our focus divided. And you could just see, you could visually see the energy in that room just slump to the floor and people start to slip out. And I'm thinking, you had us. Why the hell did you say that? And by the way, you see somebody in a hallway and they acknowledge you. You don't have to say anything. You can just sort of mumble and uh, nod. Just, just all they're looking for is the acknowledgments. Mm. Great story. Yeah. And, uh, boy, I, and, and I, I don't think he meant anything uh, nefarious oh. by it. I actually think in his own way, he was trying to send a message that they care. Just the way he did it led to an immediate interpretation of, oh, this guy's, oh, so this guy's just throwing a lunch in the check a box that he can brag about uh, when they do their publicity. They really don't give a shit about us. We shouldn't even say hi to him. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I mean. it. And he didn't mean that. I, I know he didn't mean that, but that's what happened. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I think some of that is due to the fact that there are so many there are so many leaders and environments, although I do believe that there's a shift occurring, but there's so many employers and environments where, you know, that is the case. And so it's this, it's this doubt or this lack of trust that, you know, do we really mean that? I mean, is that true? What he's saying? Because he then around turned around and said, it's something different that seemed more consistent to what I really see when I'm out there. You know, it's, it's really quite sad when you look statistically that six or seven of every 10 people absolutely feel nothing but pure drudgery when they get up every day and go to work. Can I know that feeling. Yeah. I, I, I was, I I've been there. I know how it feels. <laughs> I, I, I know what it's like to, to think, Oh God, I know what it's like to, have one weekend day because you have to spend all of Sunday just mentally preparing yourself to wake up Monday morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fun. And, and it's just, you wonder why so much, you know, mental health and anxieties and, you know, all the other things that are going on as a result of, you know, I will share with you, Adam, this, that the same struggle we're having on the corporate side is also the same struggle that's happening on the athletic side. And it's this, it's simply this, that we have become such a laser focused culture on delivering outcomes and numbers. I mean, there's no room, there's very little room for anything else. And Uh it's a, and it's a, what have you done for me lately? mentality. In other words, you feel more just a sense of relief when you deliver the outcomes because there was so much going on along the way that was so pressure packed and so overwhelmed and so many other things that occur that it really is more just a sense of relief. And before you can even begin to somewhat celebrate that 
it's already, uh, what are you going to do now? What's, what are you going to bring to us this year? And, and it's, you know, repeat, 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 and repeat. And, and so that's why we have participation in athletics. It's one of the reasons why participation in athletics has dropped so significantly. And the seriousness of the matter that's been infiltrated into the youth experience because it's run by adults. There's no more independent free play going on anymore. There's no kids just getting together. And then on the corporate side, you know, we're moving away from it, obviously, but we worked in an industrial age environment where, you know, it, one would argue it brought a lot of success, but it was get to work, go to your cubicle, get your job done, get really good at it. Don't talk to anybody, get, get your things done. And, and, and you go to home, you go eat, you go to bed and you get up and do the same thing again. This generation that's coming into the workforce wants collaboration and co-creation. They want to have more of a purpose for what they're doing. And I know a lot of older leaders have a real struggle with what they're demanding. I mean, there are guardrails to everything. There are things that are up for vote and things that are not up for vote. But what I'm saying is there's a challenge amongst leaders about what this I'll tell you what, you want to keep the most talented people. You want you want to make sure you're attracting the most talent. You better get an understanding of what emotional leadership looks like and what really is important. You have to put yourself in these people's shoes and stop stop imposing your will and your fear and your way of doing things. And I'm not I'm not saying everybody does this, but I'm just saying in general there's a shift that, that's occurring and we have to be on board with it. And if we're not, we're going to lose out. Patrick, it's just these lazy millennials. We don't have to listen to them. <laughs> They're spoiled. Uh, and, and okay. Now I say that, uh, obviously you caught that. I was saying that in jest. I am in fact, a contributor to the millennial edition of the journeys to success series. And I, in the story I wrote near, which will, probably come back to some point in this interview, but I want to skip to my point here. I know a lot of millennials. I'm a Gen Xer myself. I was born in 1976 for people who are actually tracking where I fall on that whole continuum. Uh, so I'm almost millennial. If I were three years younger, I'd be a millennial. Realistically, I deal with a lot of millennials and have for my entire professional career, both as an employee of a company. And then once I became an entrepreneur full-time 18 years ago. So millennials are some of the most motivated, passionate, and I'm going to use this in air quotes, hardworking people that I've encountered. You know, some, and I'm not, and I'm not going to say, I'm trying not to make this sound bad, but since it's sometimes these quote unquote boomers who will say, oh, these millennials, and they get the response back. Okay, boomer. Well, what is so great about complying with roles and, waiting your turn and doing what you're told to get through the day or get through the week. Millennials are not spoiled. Actually, millennials, in my opinion, then you can go to the Xers and the Yers and the Zers and all that, and you actually just see it getting even more like this, actually really want to contribute. They're passionate. They want to work in a place where they feel, as I mentioned earlier, a vested interest in the success. They're actually not asking 
for a lot. I mean, okay, so maybe they don't want to work exactly from eight to five with a one hour lunch break. Well, unless you're in a service or production industry, you really shouldn't have to anyway. Uh, that's that's separate conversation. But what they want is to feel like even if they don't always get their way, that at least they feel that they got heard and what they did and what they contributed made some sort of difference. So they're actually the opposite of clock punchers and time watchers. That's my view. I agree. I agree 100%. And, and what I what I am starting to see is I'm actually starting to see that, and I'm very happy about this. Reflect upward because we are looking upward just in a in a in a chronological continuum into the what we call the boomer generation. And I'm seeing people even who are classified as boomers saying, "Wait a minute, you know, I, I want to feel valued too. I don't want to just sit here and." And, uh, and tap my fingers and wait for lunch. I, I, I want to know that what I'm doing, when I spend literally a third of my physical life doing this work, I want to know that when all said and done, I've done something to make this company, this client, this organization, this world a better place by contributing to it. Which is awesome. And isn't it sad, right? When a boomer, and I am a boomer, by the way, and I'm yep. I'm in the I'm in the latter category of yep of really having a understanding of what's important. Um, isn't it interesting when I have a discussion with a boomer who has an unbelievably difficult time wrapping their arms around someone who doesn't want to do a job that they hate, even though they're making enough money to pay the bills and put food on the table and have a, you know, a warm house or roof over their head that the idea that you are selfish or that you are irresponsible to leave such a job just because you're not happy when you have all those other things you're taking care of that, that the idea of even thinking about leaving that job because you're miserable is absolutely the worst decision you can make in the world because you should just be grateful that you're bringing money home to get those things done. And even though that person is absolutely miserable Uh because that's what I did, because that's the sacrifice I made. I didn't like my job. I hated my job. Right. But I'll tell you what, we had a, we had a warm roof over our head and Uh we ate three squares and I paid the taxes and I paid the light bills. And that's the sacrifice I made. And everyone else should be making the same sacrifice. Otherwise you're irresponsible, lazy, you know, got it all wrong and the world's coming to an end because you people want to do something you like. Well, let's look, let's look at the boomers. Um, you being one of them, your parents probably came of age, uh, world war two thereabouts. Am I right? That's correct. Their parents probably came of age world war one thereabouts. 
So you had two generations who lived through world wars and were raised on the ideals of sacrifice. The boomers, uh, you know, you've had the Vietnam era. My, my father served in Vietnam, by the way. So um, you, Vietnam was culture changing, but it wasn't the same type of sacrifice. And that, it, we actually saw a rise in consumer comfort during that era. People of my cohort, the Gen Xers and all that, we didn't. We don't know what it's like to have a war affect our life. And for those of us, and then downward, the millennials, the Xers, the Wires, the Zers, and all that, uh, the first exposure we've had to the idea of sacrifice is the is the Branch Covidian era. And it's still not the same thing. So you can't necessarily, in my view, blame the boomers because they were simply absorbing the lessons that they were given by the generation before them, which idealized sacrifice. So, hey, hey, we lived on one stick of butter for a month and uh, we were rationed three gallons of gas and had to keep blackout curtains up and and uh, three of your uncles were at war. you mean to tell me you can't put up with a little bit of shit at work? You lazy bum. I mean, that's that's how it comes across when I look at it. Yeah, it's a great point, and you're right. And it is about what we experience and what our environment is, and what we you know what we grow up in. And so that's a great step back and say, okay, how about some some empathy maybe about that perspective because that's what they knew. And it's so true. So thank you for that story and that, that analogy, because it really does, it does, it does require an element of true, right. And isn't it, isn't it to the point of what we're dealing with? And that is this idea of, you know, what we're dealing with today. And that is this idea of so, so much judgment and divisiveness and, and things of this nature that this, this idea of having some civility um, around uh, some civility, some understanding, some empathy around why people are the way they are and, and, and what made them who they are and what they experienced and how they, you know, became, you know, groomed to be thinking in ways that would be so foreign maybe to, to uh-huh. someone of a later generation. So it's a great point and one well taken on my end, that's for sure. Yeah, people, people of your generation were taught by the generation before you to to idealize sacrifice because in a way the parents of your generation they themselves went through a generation idealized sacrifice and hardship and i oh i forgot to mention the great depression which lasted a lot longer than three years by the way and uh the generation before them knew world war one and then in many cases the grandparents of that generation remembered the civil war so you have sacrifice war things being torn apart, privation, poverty. So by teaching you the idealism of sacrifice and feeling that your inability to just not be able to just deal with not enjoying your job, oh, boo-hoo, was in a way, whether they came out and said this or not, 
their way of making you strong and able to handle adversity. Mm-hmm. There's, something yeah, to be said, there's something to be said for that. So let's get to the heart of the team. Uh, and I know that we wanted to speak a bit about what we can do to foster a healthy intrinsic work culture uh, where we're winning more than just high-level clients and big sales. Yeah, I think that there's a a few things that are important to put into action and make sure that there's a plan of action in order to develop it and grow it because we're not getting enough of it just in the natural process and course of things as people move along in their growth, whether it be you know, through high school, through college, their early career, and so on. And that is that there are certain values and there are certain, what I believe to be tenants and principles that if a corporation or, or a athletic team in, incorporates and actually teaches and practices and gives the employees or the teammates a forum in which to truly talk about these things, develop them, sharing ideas, sharing um, perceptions, sharing truth, sharing reality about, you know, how they see things. And, and these are tenants such as how do we develop trust in our corporation and in our athletic teams? What, what is one of the ways that we can do that. And there are many different ways, but one of the things I refer to in my book is, is teaching how to be safe with being vulnerable and how we get people to share their vulnerabilities in a way that is not threatening or judgmental. And it, it, can, it can be as deep as we want it to be, depending on the relationship between the employees and the degree they trust, or it could be something that is not as personal, but still, still requires vulnerability because vulnerability to me, and I've seen it time and time again, is a extremely powerful force building trust. And so put them in the boardroom or put them in the employee's conference room and have them have them participate in ideas around you know what does first of all what does vulnerability mean and what what is the degree of vulnerability that occurs from one action to the next so they have an understanding and then have them write down those things and put them in groups and have them share those things and then if you really want to get into some depth and people who and there are people who always seem to be wanting to do this Adam it just amazes me who really want to share you know, at a level that's very personal. And so, you know, that's, that's one example. You want to, you want to bring the idea of selflessness because we do have a culture in the way that we go about things of teaching. How do I get ahead? What's in it for me? How do I advance? How do I get that, that scholarship? How do I um, take, you know, get the advantage and, and what, what kind of integrity am I executing? Why I do that along the way. I mean, we have many examples and it's not just, it's not just today. It's not at this point in time in history. I mean, it, it seems to repeat itself time and time again, but there seems to be much more of winning at any cost and getting ahead at any cost, no matter 
what the level of integrity. So, you know, what is selflessness about? I mean, is it really, do we have to get that rudimentary about it, that basic to try to like explain what selflessness is and what the benefit is? Yes, we do. You know, we'll, yeah. Yeah, I you mean, know, we do. And, and, yeah. and, and, and to me, I think that's a good thing. And I'll tell you why, because you attempt to mentor people. And I see this like with parents and children, they don't give proper feedback, but they expect their employee, their contractor, their child to figure it out. Well, why are you making them suffer so much? Maybe explain it to them and give them a chance to meet a benchmark. Exactly. I, I, I've made this clear with some of my clients. If I submit deliverables to them and they don't like the deliverables, don't just tell me you don't like it. Because if you just tell me you don't like it and don't give me feedback on you know, what it is that is here that you weren't looking for, what are you looking for, uh, what do we need to do to align this with your expectations? If you don't tell me that, as far as I'm concerned, whether you like it or not, I did my job. Mm-hmm. I, I, I followed the instructions I was given and I, and I gave you what you asked for. It's not, it's not up to me whether you like it or not. So you want, you want a, a deliverable that you can enjoy, that you can love, that you can use, you can benefit from. Faster I know what that is, faster you'll get it. Yep, Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because, um, and now that there's, you know, virtual stations and remote working areas and things of this nature, it's this new challenge of communication and building unity around, you know, that's just another element that's been brought into the equation. But when I, when I work with teams and, and, and employees, coworkers, this, and again, this might sound shocking, but why would it be when you, when you think about the environment? So, you know, when we watch people and it's not a bad thing, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's, but we, it causes some challenges that we have to think about and we have to think through and we have to determine how, how can we improve upon it? How can we make it stronger? How can we build you know, a better way. And, and so what I'm getting at, Adam, is, you know, we have a bunch of people that talk through technology. Yeah. And when we're asking people who primarily communicate that way to know what it requires to be an effective face-to-face communicator or a small group communicator, or for that matter, you know, a large group presenter, that there's eye, to- eye contact, that there's body reflection, that there's, there's verbal change in tone, depending on what you're trying to emphasize or not emphasize. There's a whole bunch of different skill sets and talents that are missing and and one of the biggest things that I find is it's so easy to hide behind uh, a technology difficult message um, or a tough conversation. And the thought of an individual having to have a face-to-face tough conversation, difficult conversation, challenging conversation, 
is almost so anxiety overwhelming producing because that's not how they've learned to have to communicate. And is it, you know, Patrick, are you being over dramatic there? Are you really like, is it really that bad? And I would say that if we're not careful, it could become extremely dangerous in respect to what that does in, re- in the form of building a company, adjusting and adapting, having creative thinkers, innovative thinkers, communicators, you know, this, this heart connection and all of these other things. I mean, there, one could argue with me, Patrick, the other side is just as, as, as important because this is what we require today is this ability to speak through technology, this ability to, re- to work remotely, this ability to do all these things. So I, so I don't want to discount either side. But once again, I think there's, there's concern both ways. And we have to be able to be able to address that as, as corporate leaders and pay attention to it. I don't know, Adam, how you feel about it. But at the end of the day, I just know the value of the employee and yeah. how important that is. And, and we have to consider how this looks in the future. And, and I have, a, I have a, the CEO of our company, and you know, you've heard these in commercials, and it's so true. And he'll say something you know, in the last two weeks, what he's communicating. Don't forget about going to see your customer and your client face to face. Okay. And everything you just said there, I wrote down three phrases, zoomed out, keyboard warriors, and text before calling. (laughs) So zoomed out, let's start with that. Uh, Right now, you and I are, uh, we're having a conversation via Zoom uh, on an audio basis. And let's say instead of doing that, we were sitting next to each other. Let's say we were meeting at uh, a tavern or something like that. You know, it's possible that we might be sitting at a table together, but not even facing each other. We might be at a table by the wall and we're both looking out into the crowd, occasionally looking to each other as we speak. There may be natural pauses in the conversation. There may be things that we end up sort of multitasking. And let's say that I ask you a question or I share something that you find is really profound. And you want to take a moment before you jump into the conversation. What you may do is, and I'll be able to see this because you're next to me, is you may lean back in your chair. You may cross or uncross your legs. Whichever one you were doing, you're now doing the opposite. And you may sort of fold your hands together and look out into the distance. Non-verbally, you're telling me that you're saying, dude, just just hang for a second. I'm, I'm thinking about this. And I'll relax thinking, Patrick's really thinking about this. He's probably going to say something amazing here. And I feel a sense of relief on that. Compare that to a video conversation on Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Skype, what have you, where you're facing directly into a camera. You are only visible down to approximately the solar plexus. If you look down or it's obvious you're typing your writing, The other person may think, oh, they're distracted. They're not paying attention. Whereas we're sitting next to each other and we weren't even looking at each other, but we felt we had each other's full attention. 
Or let's say that one of us pauses for a minute to think about our next response. What happens in a few seconds? Uh, are we connected? Are you there? What, what's taking so long? Didn't happen when we were sitting next to each other. So technology has a way of interrupting the flow of communication that occurs through body language and nonverbals, which to your point is why sometimes it's a good idea to meet that client in person. I have a virtual business too. I'm based in Las Vegas. One of the reasons I picked this city is because everybody comes through here eventually. And I eventually meet everyone. And that, that's a big game changer. Second is keyboard warriors. You mentioned stability, just getting to know the other person. So how many folks go on social media and will type things like, well, if that's who you voted for, just unfriend me now. We have nothing in common. Or uh, if you don't agree with this, you're evil and you're, and you're literally selfish and, and people are dying because of you. Ooh, big words behind the keyboard, right? Well, you know, I've had people say that stuff to me. And then they had to see me in person. Didn't have such big words for me then. I mean, I didn't get all in your face or anything, but oh, in person, they're reasonable. They're capable of having a rational discussion, understanding that we don't have to agree on everything to get along. But behind that keyboard, with no consequence of actually having the person in front of you, you can say whatever the hell you want. That's not helping empathy. That's not helping communication. Text before calling. This is my third one. This is a friend of mine, actually. Uh, he's uh, about 60 years old, give or take, and he has a son who's 35. And one day his son said, Dad, you know, I love when you call, but could you do me a favor and text before you call? And the dad didn't understand it. Like, wait, you're, you're my son. You mean I have to text you before I call? Uh, that's kind of rude and cold. And the son said, no, 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 no. It's not because it's rude and cold. It's because I love when you call. I want to be able to give you my undivided attention. And if I'm in the middle of playing a game with, my, with your grandkids, I'm going to tell you, give me a few. I'm finishing up a game with your grandkids. Or if I'm coming back from the store, I'm going to say, driving home from grocery store, give me 10. Because when you call me, I want to be present with you. So the thing that we think is the technology inhibitor is or the communication inhibitor through technology is actually the facilitator. But we take the time to discover this stuff. Now, another thing, and uh, you know, our conversation is going so fast here, I love this. Um, I want to spend a few minutes on what you call taming the beast. And this has to do with helicopter clients, overzealous managers. What do you do about that? We've all been there. Mm. Well, I have a chapter in my book around trying to understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, trying to paint a picture for them if they're willing to receive it, if they're willing to have an open mind, but also being prepared that if it's a battle that's going to be about who's right and who's wrong, that it's really going to be a flop. It's going to be a disaster. And so the way I approach those people is I try to draw them back to a time where they were, where they were able to be truly independent in whatever they were doing and how that felt, what was the 
joy that they experienced from having a few moments, just for instance, something as simple as, as you were growing up, being away from your parents for 15 minutes and what that felt like, as opposed to constantly being hovered over and um, judged and measured and all the other things that come with the helicoptering in that manner. And more often than not, Adam, it's interesting to watch their body language as I ask them to close their eyes. Now, I know this isn't always a convenient way to go about this, but to, or nor is it acceptable. You have to have parties that are willing to at least play along. Um, And it's amazing to watch their body language as they think about those times and those moments. And then I asked them to fast forward to who they are today and what they're and how they're acting and what they're contributing and what they're, you know, bringing to the table and what are the differences and what do you think, what do you, how would you think if that, that person who you were and watching all of your body language and just enjoying every minute of that, how would that person feel if this current you was now involved. Yeah. And that's something. And I'll tell you that there are definitely a percentage of them that that becomes an eye opener and they begin to realize what they are contributing and how toxic it can be. I was working with a young lady today, Adam, and it just saddens me. So it really does. I mean, this is a young teenager, beautiful beautiful young lady who has so much talent, but it, you know, has these helicopter parents and um, man, it's just, it's an unbelievable weight that she carries. Um, And when she, you know, when you have people who are safe enough to feel like they can express it, it's just really, it's really, it really saddens me and it's hard to hear, but um, we, we owe it in some way to wake these people up somehow. Um, we have to keep trying. And, you know, there's going to come a time when I have a, a, a discussion with her parents and, and I will be very honest, very, very empathetic, but very honest about, you know, what role they're playing and why their daughter is full of anxiety and full of fear and how her world is getting smaller and smaller right now because she is just overwhelmed. And the beauty of who she is, the, uh, the talent of what she has, the unbelievable contribution she would be able to make is being squashed and you're not even seeing it. And all you're saying is wake up. Life is hard. Get it done. Walk through the fear. Toughen up. You're lazy, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And it sickens me. It really does. But, but my purpose and my vision is to contribute in a way that I, if I can help one person, if I can help one family, if I can help one team, if I can help one group of coworkers, you know, 
truly understand what precious value every person is and take time to grow that and develop that. That if you want to look at it as a payback, I mean, if you're really what motivates you is winning, 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 money, 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 and profits, profits, profits. All right, go ahead and do it. But do it for that reason if you want to, but at least, at least spend the time to truly be someone who's caring about the people who are bringing you those results to the level that they feel of significant value. It, if, if that's your mode, that shouldn't be your motivating factor, but if that's what it is and that's, what's going to make you do it, then by God do it. Well, Hey, and if, and if uh, you have the ability to understand that you will get more customers, you'll make more revenues, you'll make more profits when your people feel like the work that they do for you, they have a vested interest in the success of your organization, then you're more likely to get those revenues, those clients, that money. And you're going to save a ton of money when you don't have retention and turnover issues and you don't have disengaged employees who have their job description pointed out that they check 20 times a day to make sure they're not stepping one inch outside those bullet points so that they technically can't be told that they're not doing their job, but they're so checked out already that they're not, they, they know that you're not going to give them many things. So they're not going to give you any extra either. You don't want that. You don't want that. You want them, you want to feel like that. Uh, hey, if it is about money, that's great. Then let's make money together is how I, mm. that's how I would look at that. No doubt. And I'm agree 100%. And, you know, just one quick point here is, you know, fear, fear can produce desirable outcome. I've seen it happen time and time again, but yeah, the misery that comes, the misery that comes with it is, is just painful. And, 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 and what happens over and over again is eventually, and I've and I've just been a lot around. I haven't been around nearly as long as you, but I've seen enough of it. Is that eventually the way they deal with the fear is they just walk. Exactly. They find something better. So that takes us to the final point today. Today's work problem. Uh, you know, we, you see this lack of integrating spirit, fun, and excitement, and we've seen it with the Great Resignation. People. And to me, in a way, this is one of the silver linings of uh, of the pandemic, and you know, which I I'm hoping is becoming an endemic at this point, because uh, that's that just means we're normalizing, which would be good. Uh, and basically, what's happening is people are saying, you know what? No, no, the whole world's turned upside down. I'm not going to go back to this. I quit. And so this is why you have you have wages and salaries skyrocketing. You have inflation, although there are other reasons for the inflation. You have supply chain issues simply because there aren't enough people willing to work. And what I mean by willing to work is willing to be in a place where they feel that their contribution gives them a vested interest and a vested role and the success, if they're not feeling that, they just don't see any reason to work at this point. Agreed. And it's a wake-up call. And I'm glad it happened. 
Um, obviously, it's brought its challenges in ways that aren't ha- are harmful and have you know caused economic strain. Um, it's not the only factor, as you just said, but um, but I am I have some hope. I really have some hope around that that our consciousness about who we are as as corporations and and what our what our role is and what our part is in respect to contributing to the better whole is this understanding that it that truly the most valuable resource that we have is our employees and that if we don't take care of them is it too much to ask adam is it too much to ask to have a family and it's just i know there's more to our population than just families. There's single people. There's a whole bunch of yeah. other things happening. But what I'm saying is in the general feel of things, if even if I'm a single person, is is it too much to ask for me to have a decent house over my head? No. In, in respect to having a single employer and, and no. having more, more of a sense of, of family um, as, a, as a result of growing up. And, 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 and which is something that I was so so grateful for is it too much to ask and you know what is our role what what it meaning our role what is what is the what are what are the corporations of the world and other organizations role in contributing back to the better whole as opposed to the greed and the selfishness and the <laughs> on and on i mean so let me give you an example so i owned my own business for a long time and again, because of what I experienced growing up, it was very important to me, Adam, that the people that worked for me made a very good wage. And what I mean by a good wage is that if they were a family or they were sig- single, that they made enough money to be able to buy a home and pay a mortgage and get the essentials that they needed, and then even some other things to have fun. In other words, that was my focus. Now, I made a very handsome salary myself, and the company turned profits. Did it turn 10% margins? No. Did it turn 4% margins? Yes. Could it have turned 10%? I could have had it turn 20% if I wanted to squeeze and I was only interested about myself. I was only interested about the investors and the people who, you know, are just all, well, that's not fair. I'm not going to say that, but so I won't say it. But the point being is that's how I ran that business. And it was very successful. Uh, to your earlier point, I had clients coming to me left and right. I had our employees excelling and, and so conscious of of giving back and, and, and our service standards and the enthusiasm and everything else that they, they brought to the workplace and their energy and their presence was, was just awesome. Do we have our tough moments? Absolutely. But sure. what family, what family doesn't? Okay. Right. Those, those, those are the times when you really, the litmus test really gets tested about how you're connected to each other and how much you care for each other and how much you want to help each other get through it. I mean, that's, to me, is when it really who you are in your environment, the culture you set up shows its and shines at its best moments. And so I sold it. And I happened to 
be asked to run it for a number of years to the company yeah. I sold it to. And, and I watched and I watched and you get sucked in. And so let's just say it wasn't the same and yeah. in so, in so many different ways. And so I'm hoping that this is a wake up call. I'm hoping, I don't know whether it will be Adam to the degree that I would like to see it, but I'm glad that the, the strength has shifted a little bit to the, to the employee side. And hopefully we pay attention. I do some, I do see some things happening corporately where they are beginning to understand that it does have to change. It can't be the way it used to be. We have to make accommodations. We have to, we have to really take a look at our salary structure uh, and things of that nature. So I'm happy to see all those things. And if that's what this pandemic, if that's one of the contributing factors it it made as, as, as horrible as this pandemic has been and all the lives that have been lost as a result of it. Um, you know, if there's some good that can come out of it, maybe it's that. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a silver, there's a silver lining to the cloud and the silver is a precious metal invest in it. Yep. Yep. All right. So we're actually near the top of our time here. And what I do want our listeners to be aware of is you have a great book, which I'm going to pick up a copy of as well. Uh, It's called Create Forever Teammates, How Connections and Relationships Are Winning Steps in Life and Sports. And for those who have been listening to this and find yourself leaning in, wanting to discover more, you can get this book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indigo, some other places, and you can find more information about it at Patrick's website, which I'll say it one more time, is www.eliteperformance2too-e.com. It's a play on the surname, 2E. So with that, uh, Patrick, just as we wrap up here, if there's one thing that you would urge our listeners to do, I mean, other than get your book, of course, as soon as they finish streaming this, that could move the needle for them, even if ever so slightly, what would that be? Love is the most powerful emotion known to humankind. It does very special things. Great. Things that are things that are beyond what our imagination could bring. And so if I were to if I were to say one thing, and that is to to spread love. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. So Patrick Tui, thank you so much for being with us today for a very inspirational conversation. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you so much, Adam. I also have very much enjoyed this conversation and I can uh, just tell by our talk together, how important this is for you also. And so God bless and um, very uh, honored to be in a discussion with you to talk about these things. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the business creators radio show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.